Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. I'm glad to have all of you with us uh, for our show today. Our first show uh, in the aftermath of uh, our governor-elect, Brian Kemp, being certified officially as the next governor of Georgia. And an awful lot happened around that official certification, which we will talk about today. But we're also going to talk, kind of do an autopsy on how this election process unfolded, see what lessons our panelists today have already uh, started thinking about in terms of the election and, and talk about the path forward. So we'll do all that on this edition of Political Rewind. couple quick notes. You can watch us, of course, on Facebook Live. Just go to the GPB news page. You can tweet us at Politics GPB. And very quickly, those of you who came out yesterday, I'd, I'd mention that I'd love to have you join us as I uh, talk to the great Tony Award-winning Atlanta Base director Kenny Leon at the uh, Atlanta Jewish Book Festival yesterday. We had a great time, and it was wonderful to see some of you uh, come out to see Kenny. Basically, not at, let me ask any questions, but just talk, which is what Kenny does really well. All right, let's move on uh, with the show. Uh, Heath Garrett, Republican strategist, uh, is here. You are sitting for those people on Facebook Live. You have had the presumptive. Uh, assertion. You've taken the Jim Galloway seat <laughs> no because he's way. on vacation. I would never have done that presumptively. <laughs> <laughs> I took the last seat, and uh, this, this seat's too big in many ways to fill. We're glad to have you with us. Glad Thank you, back. Heath, for glad being be here. Right across from you, Stacey Evans, uh, who is a former Democratic candidate for governor, ran against Stacey Abrams. You've just come back from a big European vacation. I have. It was lovely, but it's always great to be back in Georgia. So yeah, thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, we'll we'll fill you in on a few things that happened. Yeah, yeah what happened? Gone. What happened? I have no idea. No idea. We didn't have internet. Uh, <laughs> Eric Tannenblatt, uh, one of the uh, real wise men of the Georgia Republican. Uh, uh, party of among Georgia Republicans here in the state uh, on the national level. Eric, thank you for being with us today. To be former back. chief of staff to former governor Sonny Perdue. And joining us from our bureau in Macon, the dean of the Mercer Law School, the Walter George School of Law at Mercer University is Kathy Cox. Kathy, it's really a pleasure to have you here too. Thank you, Bill. Glad to be with all of you. You know, uh, Kathy, as I've told everybody in the studio, when we uh, decided to do this show, I talked to you quite a while ago thinking that by this Monday we'd be a week or so past the election and we could just start talking about your experiences as Secretary of State of Georgia. Uh, back in the early 2000s. And you ran, of course, for governor in 2006, I think, right? That's right. Um, And we are going to talk about your experiences and get your take on exactly how you think this election unfolded. But we really have to start by uh, talking about the big news of the last few days. On Friday, late afternoon, early evening, uh, acting Secretary of State Robin Crittenden officially looked over the results of all the 159 county certifications and officially certified that Brian Kemp was going to be uh, the governor of Georgia, right? Yeah, that's right. It was a big uh, congratulations to Brian for patiently waiting and uh, for Robin Crittenden, an interim who came in and done a great job and amongst litigation and chaos and concern both at the national level and the state level of just kind of moving through the process, letting the judges do what they did, letting the lawyers do what they needed to do to make sure that every vote was counted and then certifying it in a professional manner. However, uh, you know, well, I'm not sure sure we got the a full concession. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's yeah, part of the We're going to talk about well, let, let's talk about that in a minute. But the, what I'd like to do first is uh, just a few within the last two hours, uh, Eric, Uh, Brian Kemp had a a news conference, and he announced members of his transition team. We don't want to go over all of them, but there are some big names in that transition team, right? 
Sure, and uh, I think it's a it's a it's a good group. There are a lot of people with uh, experience, people that served uh, in state government. I, I noticed Jim Lentz, who's a former COO of the state, the first uh, chief operating officer of the state. Um, I, and you know, the number of people Tom that Price is Tom, going to work with him on health care. Tom Price, who he served with in the state Senate. He was a Senate majority. Tom Price was the Senate majority leader when Brian was in the in the state Senate. Uh, Joy Hawkins, who's been around state government for for a long time. Mark Hamilton, former legislator. So there, there are a number of people uh, that have been both uh, involved in the there's business leaders from the private sector and people that served in state government. Um, Kathy, let me ask you, uh, the process is, just to be clear on where we ended up, that each county, all 159 counties, they certify their results, send them up to what used to be your office as Secretary of State. And what is exactly that the Secretary of State does at that point to be able to officially certify the election? Or is that kind of just a formality at that point? It's a little bit of a formality, but it's really about uh, checks and balances. It's taking all of those totals from the counties and making sure that everything does add up. Uh, It's looking for any kind of discrepancies. It's making sure that each county fills out basically a, a large spreadsheet that includes all of their regular ballots, absentee ballots, provisional ballots, and making sure that everything is complete from the county level that it balances out with all of the various uh, numbered list of voters and things that counties have to fill out on the local level and making sure that all of that is really complete at the state level and that the numbers really add up. So it's, a, it's just a final check. Okay, so um, Stacey Abrams realized on Friday afternoon that the uh, certification was coming. She didn't wait for the Secretary of State to announce it she held a news conference around 5 o'clock or so Friday afternoon, and um, she adopted a pretty fierce tone. Here's just a little bit of what she said. I acknowledge that former Secretary of State Brian Kemp will be certified as the victor in the 2018 gubernatorial election. But to watch an elected official who claims to represent the people in this state baldly pin his hopes for election on the suppression of the people's democratic right to vote has been truly appalling. So let's be clear, this is not a speech of concession. Because concession means to acknowledge an action is right, true, or proper. As a woman of conscience and faith, I cannot concede that. But my assessment is the law currently allows no further viable remedy. Now, I could certainly bring a new case to keep this one contest alive, but I don't want to hold public office if I need to scheme my way into the post. So that was Stacey Abrams on Friday. And before we discuss that, let's listen to Brian Kemp, who uh, held this news conference a little while ago in which he did announce his transition team. And this was the rhetoric that the governor-elect was using. And today I want to make it very clear that my administration will be known as incredibly competent, obviously diverse, and clearly committed to doing the right thing even when no one is watching. We will transition efficiently, govern honestly, and put hardworking Georgians first. Thank you so much. All right, so Stacy, let's talk about where we stand with all of this right now. You've got a very strident message from Stacey Abrams, who you ran against just months ago. Uh, I know you uh, you did, though, uh, endorse her, support her as fully as you could in the aftermath of that election. Um, what did you make of the demeanor, tone, and message that she was sending out on Friday? Well, there's no doubt that this election has been extremely divisive. And I think that, unfortunately, her non-concession speech only added to that. And and we can talk about that, about whether it was right or wrong and, and whether she has merit to what she's saying or not. But the truth is, this is this is Brian Kemp's show now. He's the governor. He has the ability to pull us together if he wants to. And I think he does seem to want to um, in his words. Now we'll see if his actions do that, because regardless of what Stacey Abrams does at this point, he's the governor-elect. He's going to have the power through appointments to really make a showing that he wants to be unifying. 
Um, and I think putting moderates on the transition team, um, I, I saw a couple names that made me made me feel good. I wish there had been more, of course, um, being from the side of the aisle I'm on. But we'll see a lot in his commission and his appointments to, to head these commissions, even in his floor leaders. Who does he put out to, to push his legislative agenda? And so I think it's up to him. I, I, we can talk about Stacey Abrams in that speech. But I think at the at the end of the day, Brian Kemp. It's in his hands at this point. You know, I, I, I didn't plan it out this way, but it occurred to me that with both you and Kathy uh, Cox on the show, uh, each of you uh, ran for governor and were not successful in uh, your campaigns. And Kathy, if you don't mind, let me ask you this. Uh, it, it, I've never been a candidate for office since, I think, middle school, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I lost my election there. Uh, it is a difficult, bitter pill to swallow when you lose. What do you recall about your race for governor and the feelings you had in, in your loss and then how you felt you had to respond to the fact that uh, th- there was going to be a, a gubernatorial candidate that was going to need your backing? Well, as you said, it is a difficult, bitter pill to swallow <laughs> in every regards. And, and it's it's really difficult to judge a candidate unless you've been in those shoes uh, to understand the the hard feelings that are often exist after uh, the loss of an election, um, so I don't find fault with anything that Stacey Abrams has to say at this point because it's it's her feelings and uh, and hers alone to state those feelings. Um, but the the process certainly has become so bitter, so divisive, so partisan, and I think. The, the Kemp campaign made statements after the election and the last week that didn't help the process any more than people want to find fault with the Abrams statement. But as Stacey Evans just pointed out, I think going forward, uh, it would behoove the governor-elect to take the higher road. Um, and the one thing that, unfortunately, I didn't hear uh, governor-elect Kemp say was he said, we're going to be competent, we're going to... Uh, uh, keep Georgia moving forward, but he didn't make any statements about being bipartisan. And I, I would urge him to take a page out of Zell Miller's playbook. Uh, you know, Zell Miller uh, took steps, which I'm sure uh, Heath and Eric would remember, to to actually appoint people from the opposite political party. Zell Miller appointed Johnny Isaacson to head up the state school board. Uh, he appointed people who had uh, who had come from the opposite political por- party to take positions in state government, as in Mike Adams as president of the University of Georgia. I think if if the governor-elect would take tangible steps to reach out uh, across the aisle, it would say speak volumes to the people of Georgia that he really was going to make an effort to bring people together and not just give lip service lip service to this effort. Eric, I did. I, you know, what I heard when I watched uh, uh, Brian Kemp this morning was a message in which he said, "I do believe in that I should have an inclusive administration." I, I think Kathy's right. I didn't hear him say specifically, and I'm going to appoint some Democrats to help make that message clear. Yeah, he 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 didn't use the word. He may not have used the word bipartisan, but even not just the speech this morning, the speech prior to that, he talked about now's the time for us to move forward. I'm representing all of Georgia. And look, this is a this is a time now where he has a lot on his plate uh, as he moves through this transition to become the governor. I think it's premature uh, in terms of his appointments uh, to see who he appoints. It may very well be that he does do what uh, Kathy is is suggesting. But I, but I do believe, knowing Brian, that uh, he knows that he's representing all of Georgia. And I think he's been pretty clear over the last week that, you know, we need to put the election behind us. Unfortunately, with regards to Stacey Abrams, uh, look, I've never run for office, so I don't know what what it feels like. But you also have a responsibility to your supporters, and they're all looking to you for how they need to, you know, move forward. And the non-concession speech, uh, I thought, uh, left things undone for a lot of people. And I, I think that that's not helpful. And I think that, you know, as 
the leader for her party or her party's nominee, uh, she should try and help in terms of getting people uh, to move beyond this this election. And the last point I'll make, too, is, you know, this election was watched all around the country. It wasn't just a Georgia election. And as I traveled around the country, it was interesting because the perception outside of Georgia was very different than what what I felt inside of Georgia. And I think there are a lot of people around the country that that thought that, you know, there were things happening here in Georgia that just weren't happening. And we're starting to see some of that by some of the tweets over the last 24 to 48 hours with uh, film companies and actors and directors saying, well, we're going to boycott Georgia. That is not constructive. And I think that Stacey Abrams may have pushed it a little too hard, and I hope she backs away a little bit right now because it could really have a negative impact for the state. Heath, but the yeah. qu- this was the consequence of a scorched earth campaign on both sides. And we talked about that on the show frequently. We have. How are we ever going to get back together? And while it is certainly true, I think, I think Stacey Abrams has an interesting balancing act right now. She's certainly within her rights, it strikes me, to pursue uh, whatever kind of federal suit she believes she has evidence to bring that suggests there is a a, a rottenness at the core of our election process, which we're going to ask Kathy a little bit about and and get you all involved in a little while. So on one hand, um, you know, that's fine. But this is her state. Brian Kemp is going to be the governor of Georgia. Brian Kemp is going to have to work with business leaders who want to move the state forward. He's going to have to reach out to ordinary citizens like we are to uh, try to engage us in the agenda that he sets forward. And we can't go forward if what Stacey Abrams tells us is he's a crook who stole an election and, and that troubles me. On the other hand, the Kemp folks, some of their news releases in the week after the election, we, they knew he was likely to win, and they put out some pretty hateful stuff, too. Well, I had the good fortune of working for Johnny Isaacs in all these years, and he had a couple of sayings. Number one is always be humble in victory and magnanimous in defeat. And I think that hopefully both of these parties, both of our parties, both of our candidates, uh, Governor-elect Kemp, and uh, Stacey Abrams, who ran a great race, right, a competitive race, whether you like her or policies or not, right, she she hit historical markers. Um, and the other thing that Johnny Isaacson always had was in order for there to be a fight, two people have got to be swinging. So we need Governor-elect Kemp to stop swinging and become the victor-elect and to be humble in his victory and inclusive and bipartisan and all those things that I think, you know, I've known him for a long, long time. He's a good friend. He has a moderate soul and a moderate personality. I don't mean politically moderate, but, I mean, he is a nice guy who really does like everybody he ever runs into. And so if he takes his personality and then puts that onto the governorship and then offers olive branches to Stacey Abrams and the Democratic Party and other people, then I think that'll take the state the wrong way. And I know Stacey Abrams for a long time. And, and that was not the Stacey Abrams that I've known for the last 20 years on Friday night. That was definitely a hurt candidate. I've been in the room with candidates when they've lost bitter primaries and bitter general election. I know the desire to go out and do that. She did it. We also have this We're in the wild west of social media. We had a nationalized race. We had a competitive political race that had racial undertones and overtones throughout it. And I think as a state, we're at one of those points like we were in the early 70s where the business community, the African-American, Hispanic, uh, Asian, and other communities, along with the white community, have all got to come together and figure out how we can talk with each other. And I'm with you, Bill. I'm concerned about it because this is as divisive as I've ever seen it in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, Stacy, I didn't get to ask you. I mean, you you were able to come back from—you you and Abrams certainly, you know, did some punching back and forth. It never got to the extreme uh, 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 measures that we saw in the general election. Right. But mm-hmm. you came back, you you endorsed her, you congratulated her. How tough is it for her? And how do you think this is motivating her, uh, w- how she's behaving right now? It's hard. As, as Cass Cathy's already noted, it's, it's a very uh, bitter pill to swallow. It's hard. And um, having been in those shoes, you know, I feel for Stacey Abrams because it was, as you said, 10 times a tougher election. Um, 
but you have to come back together. Um, that's how I felt after the primary. There was a bigger cause uh, for me, which was that I thought the state would be better off to have a Democrat in the governor's office. And that was a bigger cause than my personal feelings at the time. And I feel now as Georgians, we have to come together because there's a bigger cause here in Georgia. And what I hope, and, and, and it's not just for Georgia, though it is true for Georgia, but it's also true for the Democratic Party of Georgia. We have a lot of good news to talk about. Now, we didn't get the big prize, but we did better than we have done. Amazon. Is that what you mean well, by the big prize? Oh, you I mean at the Democrat. governor's office. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm at the I, governor's I office. I apologize. We didn't get the big prize <laughs> in the governor's office, but we flipped a congressional seat. We flipped 13 legislative seats. We had a better performance at the top of the ticket than we've had in 20 years or so. I, I can't remember the exact math. But we were winners. And and I, I do fear that the message getting out in the national media is not true. It doesn't reflect well on Georgia, and it doesn't reflect well on the progress of the Democratic Party. And I will say this to the entertainment industry point here. The three people that continuously pushed the so-called religious liberty legislation in the in the legislature, um, David Schaefer, Josh McCoon, Sam Teasley, all three all of lost. them lost. Yeah. That is the news that Democrats in Georgia should want out in the national arena because it shows where we are in the progress that we've made it a state as a state. And I hate that that's not the message that's getting out. Uh, Kathy, two points. Uh, number one, we should say that uh, Stacey Abrams did send out a tweet when she saw the reaction from actors, I think Alyssa Milano, who came into this state and campaigned a lot, uh, Ron Perlman, a few others. Uh, when she saw them uh, on Twitter saying, let's boycott the, the uh, production business in Georgia, she immediately sent out a tweet saying, don't do that. The people who work in this state uh, deserve to have the business. But the other thing that's interesting about this is, is what's to, to pick up on Stacey Evans' comments, some of those victories, the 6th District Congressional race, the pickup of all those legislative seats in the northern suburbs, Stacey Abrams can probably take a lot of credit for bringing the voters to the polls, Kathy, who made that happen. No doubt about it. Uh, she had a phenomenal uh, voter outreach program, uh, technology that uh, amazed me that technology has come so far since I ran in 2006. Uh, and single-handedly, I think her campaign was able to motivate those voters all over the state to help these other races. Yeah, and there's no there's no doubt that she ran a great campaign. And I, you know, I, I live in Atlanta, and I, you know, at our home, we received, you know, lots of mail from the Abrams campaign in the state Democratic Party, and you saw in the Atlanta area the loss of a lot of Republican legislators. Uh, and that's going to have a, a long-term impact uh, on, on the party. But, you know, with Stacey Abrams, she shouldn't take away from the great campaign she ran by uh, adopting this hostile tone. Uh, I think she probably has a bright political future ahead of her if, if she changes that tone uh, and then builds upon it. And and so I, I hope in the in the coming days that uh, she tones down uh, some of the rhetoric and, and actually helps to heal and bring the state together. I do have to say this. Um, if you monitored our Facebook live posting right now, you would see that there, there are some camp people out there who, who are wishing him well. But there are an awful lot of people who are saying who are being skeptical about whether Brian Kemp is the person who right. you, Heath and you, Eric, are saying they still feel that he is not someone who has their interests at heart. And, and it's especially they break it down along racial lines. So so mm -hmm. so while while Abrams has a responsibility here to find a way to help us all heal, clearly Governor-elect Kemp does too. It's right? on him. He's the he's the governor now. It is up to him and he can show us the kind of governor he wants to be. And and that's just the bottom line. He can come out with a Make America Great hat, hat on and appoint all white men to head these commissions and we'll know where he stands. Or he can come out and talk about bipartisanship, stand shoulder to shoulder with the diversity, with, with people that reflect the diversity of the state and, and appoint people that will, will reflect that diversity. It's, well, it's up to him. There's no question after yeah. this bitter race that it's, there's a lot of responsibility. I think Brian is up to the task to do that. I think his transition team is uh, diverse when it comes to color, diverse when it comes to religion, is diverse politically, and is diverse intellectually, which I think are 
are critical, and it's a good start, but he does. I mean, I remember when Governor Deal was elected. Uh, it was a pretty bitter election uh, back then, and he had to go a long way to becoming. He was not the the popular Republican governor that we now know today, and it was by action that he got there. I think Brian can do that. Yeah, and I'm going to even go further back to Sonny Purdue. If you remember that election against Governor Barnes, the flag was a big issue. And after, you know, Governor Purdue in the legislature, uh, we, when we changed the flag, uh, Governor Purdue toured around the state uh, and did these sessions on racial healing. And he did it with people like Andy Young and with President Carter. So right now, if Stacey uh, Abrams is not ready to step forward, I hope some other leaders in the Democratic Party, if, if you know, if there are people that feel that we've got this racial divide, some other leaders that really care about the future of the state will step forward and join Governor-elect Kemp in, in trying to heal our state. I said on the show Friday, uh, we got to get to a break, but I said on the show the other day, you know, Nakima Williams, Senator Nakima Williams had a horrible incident. I mean, being arrested at the state capitol, wearing her Senate badge uh, because she was watching a demonstration going on, she, taken to jail, stripped, searched. I don't know how Nakima Williams herself would feel about this, but I thought there's something Brian Kemp could do. He could call Nakima Williams and ask her to come meet with him in his office and talk about her experience and share his um, expressions of concern that something like that would happen. Uh, you know, I just talk for a living, but... Maybe they ought to try that, Heath. I think it's look. It's got to be idea. it's got to be sincere, relationship-driven conversations. We got to have them. Uh, I thought about this. You know, do we have, can we have Johnny Isaacson and Andrew Young do some things? Can we get Stacey Abrams and other Republican leaders together, like we've done in the past? What can we do in the business community? But it's going to really start with conversations one-on-one at the street level. We got to do something. All right. Um, Tom Faust, Tyler Morris, our engineer, are staring uh, knives at me because I have not gotten to a break yet. Let's go to the break. When we come back, we're going to turn to Kathy Cox and ask her, as a former Secretary of State, to lead us in a conversation about where we stand in this state with the systems by which we elect candidates to office. This is Political Rewind. Hey, this is David Green, host of Morning Edition. I'm here to talk with you about that poking feeling, the one that keeps reminding you to support public radio. You can support the programs you love by donating your used vehicle. That old car or truck could be worth hundreds of dollars to this station. All you have to do is call, and you might even receive a tax deduction. Go to gpb.org cars or call 877-GPB-1-CAR and thanks. We're back on Political Rewind. As I said, the first show since we've had a winner in the governor's race. We're still waiting for a recount in the 7th District congressional race. Carolyn Bordeaux, now that that race has been certified and is within well under 500 votes, wants a recount to see if there's any way she can catch incumbent Rob Woodall. We'll see whether that's headed anywhere. And let's remember, and we're going to be talking about this more on our show tomorrow, we have two big runoff elections statewide. You've got a secretary of state's uh, runoff, which is going to have a huge impact. And the perfect thing to talk about as we turn to Kathy Cox uh, between Brad Raffensperger and uh, John Barrow, the Democrat. And that person will have a lot to do with the election process as it moves forward. Also a PSC commission runoff. Kathy Cox, the fury over how registration, absentee ballots, provisional ballots, numbers of voting machines. You know all of this. I don't have to recount it for you. The fury this generated for months and months, the terrible national publicity that the state endured. As a former secretary, first of all, as a former secretary of state, I think I've done you a disservice on the show without realizing it. When you were running for governor, We've said that you remained in your job so that when people said, well, how can Kemp oversee an election in which he's running for governor? I'm told that I what I never knew. You recused yourself. Is that right? As head as uh, head of the elections board? Yes, I stepped back from chairing the state election board during that race. And of course, I didn't go beyond the primary, but I felt like it was an important statement to make. Uh, if nothing other than to avoid the appearance of impropriety uh, and not to put myself in a position of <clears throat> being privy to election investigation information or things like that. 
So I, I thought that was sort of a good middle ground statement to make at the time. Well, first of all, then, I owe you an apology for misrepresenting what really happened. But that leads to the first part of this, which is, should there be something statutorily created that would say that a, a, a secretary of state cannot oversee an election in which they are running? I do think that perhaps the time has come for the Georgia General Assembly to consider that issue. Uh, a lot of other states have moved in that direction. Um, nationwide, elections are managed mostly by secretaries of state in about 39 different states. Uh, you have elected secretaries of state. Nine or so are appointed. Uh, three states actually have a secretary of state selected by the legislature. But it seems to be, there seems to be a trend of states designating bipartisan boards of election to run uh, their election processes. Some of them are combining elections with their ethics commissions and making that a, a standalone state agency, but having it overseen by a, an equally bipartisan board. Uh, and I think that might not be a bad model so that people could remove it from an elected official because in our case, even if the Secretary of State were running for re-election, then his or her opponent might have questions about how the election were being conducted and what uh, inside information the Secretary of State might have. So whether they're running for another office or running for re-election, you might have the same potential for a conflict of interest. So, if, oh, I'm sorry. Finish, Kathy, please. There, there are other models out there that I think the General Assembly might uh, might be in a good place to consider. If, if, if the Republican, Raffensperger, wins the election for Secretary of State, can you really imagine a Republican-controlled legislature being willing to take him out of the business of overseeing elections? No, I think that the, or the compromise might be is along the lines of what uh, Kathy did is some kind of mandatory recusal of of the conflict of interest if you yourself are, in, you know, for your election and those kind of things. It's really a constitutional question right here, so we don't need to get too, too technical and legal. But as long as the Secretary of State is an elected constitutional position in the state of Georgia, at the end of the day, they're being elected to oversee elections. And that's just kind of, it's kind of like having judges elected. There's some arguments why you may not want judges elected as well out there, but the Constitution re requires that. So I think there probably was a better amount. I was not part of privy to the conversation. Of, of why uh, Kemp didn't do things like what Kathy Cox did. I think legally he wasn't required to. And, as we, you know, the one thing that got missed in this whole narrative is the Secretary of State really doesn't manage the actual election or the counting of the votes, right? It's a perfunctory role to some extent. It's the local elections uh, boards who do that, which are bipartisan um, by requirement and uh, controlled at the local level. However, the appearance of it has created a national uh, problem for the state of Georgia. And if nothing else, we're all about economic development and trying to take care of those appearances. So I think that it needs to be addressed in some way. What do you think, Stacey? My guess would be that there are probably close to as many Republicans as there are Democrats that wish that Brian Kemp had resigned <laughs> um, because it would have taken away perhaps a lot of the arguments that we're dealing with right now. Um, but but when thinking about this idea about whether they should resign or not, I had the same concern that, that has been brought up here. Well, what happens if you're running for re-election? You can't resign and run for re-election. So I think the middle ground that Kathy talked about is probably the best, most reasonable thing to do. All right. So that, well, let's see what happens. I mean, Kathy, I would be surprised if, if there's not some legislation introduced on this um, in the session ahead. But let's go to that larger uh, issue. Um, as you watched all of the controversy that swirled around the election, um, what was your what what's your biggest takeaway? How have you felt as you've watched this process unfold and even go back to um to the, um, what, one million uh, registered voters that were purged from the list during uh, uh, Secretary of State Kemp's tenure. I assume you must have done a voter purge at some point or other in your tenure. It is required by federal law, I think, right? It's not required, but oh. there is a process okay. that is provided in federal law. Uh, and there certainly were a lot of deja vu moments um, Mostly, it started out over the voting equipment, um, and 
There, were, uh, there was litigation before Federal Judge Amy Totenberg uh, in which I had to testify uh, for the state because it involved the voting equipment that we use and whether or not that should be thrown out literally just weeks before the election for some other form of voting. Uh, and Judge Totenberg issued a pretty stern order that suggested she would come back after the election and, uh, and consider other perhaps actions to uh, further incentivize the state to uh, get its act together and make some changes in the election equipment. It went from election equipment and whether it was vulnerable to hacking or whether the voter registration system was vulnerable to hacking to when we got into the early voting period, all of the issues that arose about registration and absentee ballots and provisional ballots. So there is a wide array of issues for the legislature, I think, to study, to examine, and to take action on um, really before maybe a federal court comes in and hammers the legislature for not taking action. What, what are some examples of the things that you believe need the most attention? Well, here, here's one of the easiest, uh, and this was at the heart of the Gwinnett County situation where Judge uh, Lee May issued an order to Gwinnett County to not reject so many absentee ballots that did not have a date of birth on the outer envelope. For decades, Georgia has had an absentee ballot that required you on the outside of an envelope to put your date of birth. Now, in today's day of identity fraud, who wants to put their date of birth on the outside of an envelope? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. And I can imagine that a whole lot of those voters said, I'm just not going to do that, not knowing it might have caused their ballot to be rejected. Well, Judge May decided that that information was not, was not needed to identify the voter and that that information conflicted with the Federal Civil Rights Act so that the county should not reject a ballot if that information was not provided. So the legislature easily ought to come in and take that off the outside of an envelope or provide for a third envelope so that personally identifying information is not exposed to the world on the outside of an envelope. But there are a lot of other little details like that that really ought to be studied and reviewed and provide provide processes that can be consistent from county to county so that we have good due process in making sure that votes are counted equally from county to county. You know, Eric, that's really one of the most important aspects of all of this, to understand we have essentially 159 election fiefdoms that all each do things in their own way. No wonder that people find it confusing at times. Yeah, and, and I also think, you know, given all of the attention on our voting processes here in Georgia and us having a runoff election in the Secretary of State's race. My hunch is in the next three weeks, we're gonna be talking a lot about this and whoever is successful in that runoff race, one of their priorities is going to be, uh, you know, implementing or proposing some reforms to this whole process. Um, Stacey, one of the other uh, aspects of our, we've, our election process that uh, has been under scrutiny in this election um, it's, it's sort of the accumulation of any number of pieces of legislation, rules that were put in place over the years by Republican administrations uh, going back to photo ID. The one that really came under scrutiny this time, which was a Brian Kemp uh, 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 rule that I guess was statutorily passed as well, was exact match, uh, meaning if my name is hyphenated and the hyphen isn't there, an election officer can throw my can tell me I can't vote. Yeah, and that that legislation was passed while I was in the legislature, okay. and it and it was um, it was a, a extreme party line vote, uh, as I recall. I don't I don't know that there was any any anybody that crossed the line on that. Um, and it's a problem. It is we want elections to be secure. Um, Right now, that's our biggest problem, probably, is the security of the of the system and the machines that are that are outdated at this point. And so, when you hear 
as, as a Democrat or as a Georgian, you hear Republican hardliners talking about the security of the elections is the most important thing. And that's why we have to have exact match. And that's why we have to have all these things that make it harder to vote. It kind of falls on deaf ears when you're not addressing the actual real problem, which is the security and the modernization of the system. And so I think this is another time where Republicans at this point have a chance to, to do the right thing. Now, you might question why they why they've waited till this long to do the right thing but we are where we are now and i think i think kim can move us forward by focusing. And I want to clear, you if you go in on an exact match and you show up to vote you do get to cast a provisional Thank vote you. I but, apologize. Uh, we don't want we, we, we're in this heightened environment we really don't You're want right. people out there thinking that you can't vote in georgia and and the vast majority of those provisional but, votes but that doesn't but mean it, there's not a barrier oh, there's, look, because I think a, this is a provisional good vote right. means I got, I've got to go home. I've got to go find some uh, proof of who I am. I got right. to take it back. So it may not. You may be able to vote, but you've added a barrier, which is going to discourage some people from ending up casting their ballot. Right? I, think, I, think, I think this is one where you can have a re- reasonable debate about how best to handle this, right, to maintain uh, voter security and integrity. Because one of the things about voter integrity is you want everybody, Republicans and Democrats, to feel confident. You know, there were hundreds of ballots that were. Cast by people where they're living in the wrong county in the wrong place, and those ultimately were rejected by Friday at 5 o'clock because somebody was trying to vote in the wrong county. And so th- it, there's a big mess in here, and I think that it's interesting. I think, ironically, Brian Kemp has been advocating for greater resources from the legislature for a number of years. He's been frustrated by that as the Secretary of State to fix some of these problems, and that will allow for well, What a, are the problems that Kemp has wanted to fix? Well, he, he'd Do want you- more money for the machines, right, and to talk about replacements there, which is an extremely expensive proposition statewide to get it right. More money for training because it is 159 different counties who manage this process. And if they don't all have the exact same training, then you're going to end up with what we have where you have one county doing it one way. And, you know, for example, on those provisional ballots, almost all the counties but Gwinnett uh, County actually had already discarded the, the date requirement, the birth date requirement. And so when we went back for this recount, there weren't a whole bunch of new votes out out there because most of the counties had gotten a specific training, but Gwinnett was doing it slightly differently. And again, that's, Brian Kemp couldn't control that. Uh, so I do think there's a great debate to have here. How do we maintain security, integrity, uh, and then make sure that everybody who wants to vote uh, votes? Now, let's, let's, let's be clear. We had record registration over the last two years. We've had record turnout and record votes. Stacey Abrams exceeded Hillary Clinton's vote total by 45,000 votes statewide. She got more votes than Hillary Clinton did in this election cycle. So I think we just got to be careful with this word suppression because it implies, and a great AJC reporter told me that they can't find a single person who wanted to vote in the state of Georgia. Uh, who did not get a chance to vote. And I think that's really fascinating here. But it has been harder. I mean, it it, it is harder to vote here than it is to vote in some other states, and it is harder to vote in certain counties than it is in other, and I think the Gwinnett situation shows that. And, yes, we need more resources, and if if Brian Kemp has been lobbying for more resources, I don't know that to be true or not true because I wasn't on that side of the appropriations uh, committee, but— he can fix that now because he gets to set uh, the estimate. And so no, we'll no. see if he does. Um, and and I think money aside, the Secretary of State has the ability to make sure that at least uniform instructions are going out. I mean, a piece of paper is a piece of paper. The instructions, I don't think, cost that much money. And the fact that, and this is Carolyn Bordeaux's point, is that the voters in Forsyth were more likely to get their absentee ballots, their provisional ballots accepted than were the Gwinnett side of that district. And, and I we know assume the Forsyth voters tend to be Republican in voting for I think Woodall. that would be safe. <laughs> yeah. You get the last comment before we got to get to a break. Well, I, I think also another area that needs to be looked at, too, is the early vote, because we had historic numbers of early vote, and that seems to be the trend. And so I think that counties need to prepare for, you know, greater early vote each year because it seems to be growing. Um, we're going to take a break. Kathy, when we come back, I would love to uh, ask you to talk to us a little bit about the machines that you put in place and then what you think about the next steps for putting new machines in place in 2018. We'll do that in a minute. This is Political Rewind. On the next Fresh Air, <laughs> maybe some of y'all have heard of me, Buster Scruggs. 
The Ballad of Buster Scruggs is a new Coen Brothers film of six stories about the Old West. They're singing, gunslinging cowboys, bank robbers, and wagon trains on the Oregon Trail. We'll talk with Joel and Ethan Cohen about the film. Join us. Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 here on GPB. You can also listen live online at gpbnews.org. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Stacey Evans, Eric Tannen, Blad Heath Garrett are here with me in the uh, Atlanta studios. And uh, Kathy Cox, former Secretary of State, uh, now the Dean of uh, the School of Law at Mercer University, joins us in our Macon Bureau. So, Kathy, you put the machines we're using now in place right around the turn of, right around before 2000, after 2000. I can't quite remember. As a direct result of the 2000 election. Oh, I didn't. Re- oh, you know what? That's right. And tell rem- tell people about that because that's interesting. Well, it was the the Florida debacle, as yep. most people will remember, yep. when everybody was paying <laughs> so much attention to Florida, and we did a big study in Georgia at the time and found out that proportionally we had lost more votes than Florida. But because the margin between Bush and Gore was not as great in Georgia. Uh, It would not have changed the outcome of the presidential election here, but it really horrified us to learn that because we had this hodgepodge of voting equipment at the time all over the state, every county did whatever they wanted to do at the time, uh, we wanted to get it right. And so we had perhaps the last bipartisan commission in Georgia to really (laughs) study that. Uh, And we spent a year studying elections in Georgia and election equipment available at the time. And that's how we came up with the electronic voting equipment that we're using today. Uh, Oh, go ahead. Keep talking, please. Well, I can't I can't say that we anticipated in 2001 that we would still be using the exact same equipment uh, some 16 years later uh, without really any significant upgrades, because I think any time you put a piece of technology in place, you are obligated to keep looking at ways to improve it and to maintain it. And I don't know that that has been done uh, in the aftermath of putting that in place. But it was, I think, the best available equipment at the time. And it's not that the equipment was so good, but we also put into place a whole uh, umbrella of rules and regulations on how to use it and how to keep it secure. And that's what really has always given me confidence in how accurately it can be used. Um, in $2,000, what, what, what did it cost to buy those machines back then? What was the state appropriation? Do you happen to remember? It cost us a little more than $50 million, but we got a little more than $50 million in federal funding to pay for it. Uh, the state money that, uh, at the time, Governor Roy Barnes uh, helped us allocate for it was really we money that we used for voter education. And we spent a full year literally educating voters all over the state on how to use this new equipment. So the voter education piece was just as important as putting new equipment in place. But the state funded the voter education piece. The federal government really almost completely funded the new equipment. And the and Congress has not put up really any substantial new money since that time for new equipment. So it will be, we have a commission now uh, that has been impaneled to look at uh, the new newest kind of voting machines we might want to put in place, the big issue being paper trail of some sort. Eric, uh, do you know where that stands and when we're going to see a report that might go to the legislature? I, I assume the governor will be the first to look at it, and we'll talk with his floor leaders, with maybe the Democrats themselves, about how to move forward with this. Heath, you're kind of nodding. What do you expect the next step is? No, I, I do think every voting machine company in the world uh, has <laughs> folks uh, geared up to uh, <laughs> lobby the new secretary right. of state in the legislature. I have heard that, and I do think it's going to be his, his battle, right? How do you do both electronic and have a paper trail. And in the new, of course, Kathy, I guess you didn't think about Russian hacking in 2001 when we (laughs) did these, did you? However, uh, you know, I think that we've got, we're in the cyber, you know, crime business uh, now and everything, you know, luckily we're in a place like Atlanta, Georgia, that cybersecurity is a big industry here and we have some great people that can help us out, but a lot, a lot to do. All well, right. and the ha- the hacking issue is a little bit of a misnomer because the one good thing I think about our system still is that it is not connected to the internet, and that confuses a lot of people. 
where we've heard about hacking has been related to the voter registration system, which is not connected to the voting machines. And some of the voter registration connections between the Secretary of State's office and the counties has been connected by internet. Communications have been connected by the internet. And that's where we did have potentially some Russian contacts back in the last election. But the voter system is not connected to the internet. That's a great point. Stacey, um, if you were still a member of the legislature, uh, it doesn't strike me. I, I know I heard Heath say, you know, we're going to get every voting machine manufacturer in the country here, and of course we will. But there are many states who are using machines with a paper trail. I, it doesn't strike me that this is a terrible challenge. Maybe I misunderstand the reality of this. It seems like a fairly straightforward thing to look at the states that are using good machines and buy one of those. I'm, I'm with you. It's not revolutionary. And I think we, we've talked a lot on this show and in past shows and through throughout the last few weeks about how polarized we are right now between the parties. But one thing we do seem to agree on right now is that we've got to get a better voting election system. We've got to get better machines, more updated machines. We've got to make them secure and we got to have a paper trail. And if this legislature and this governor don't take advantage of that one piece of one issue that we agree on, then shame on them. And I also think we need to remember, too, that the elections are actually run at the local level. And so we're talking all about the state's responsibility. But I think people also need to understand, too, that there's a responsibility of local officials to manage the local elections processes. Thank you for saying that, because we're about to run out of time. But, Kathy, that's a really interesting point. And it's one of the things that was a ubiquitous complaint in this election is that people stood in line for much longer than you would like to have seen them do it, two, three, four hours. But the machines and the distribution of machines is a county issue. It isn't the secretary of state does not tell counties how many machines to have, do they? Well, originally, when we bought the equipment, we bought an equitable amount for every county based on, you know, certain number of machines per thousand voters. But over time, as counties have grown, it has been a county obligation to purchase new machines. Some have, some haven't. And I think in recent years, as the counties have all looked for the state to buy different equipment, I think they've not bought new equipment to keep up with their growth. Okay. I hate to say this because we're completely out of time uh, for today's show, and I wish we weren't because I really think that uh, this conversation has been an interesting one and in many ways an important one. Um, I will tell you, though, as I read the comments on Facebook Live, there are an awful lot of you out there who are feeling like either Stacey Abrams or Brian Kemp. You're not ready to bury the (laughs) hatchet and start figuring out how we all come together. That's fine. Um, but we will continue. I'm glad the election is over because our the passions got so intense on this show at times that the kind of respectful, you know, civil conversations we like having, they got really tricky a few days. <laughs> so I'm glad the election is over. And uh, I hope we can get back to talking about politics and the issues of politics in uh, the civil way that we like to do it. Kathy Cox, uh, Stacey Evans, Eric Tannenblatt, Heath Garrett, thanks so much for being here for today's show. We're going to be back tomorrow. Uh, Tomorrow we're going to talk about religious liberty and whether it's about to rear its head again at the Capitol. And where will Governor-elect Brian Kemp be on that issue? See you again at 2 tomorrow.